You and I know that making smart financial decisions can be challenging. But in 21st century, financial freedom is no longer just for the 1% wealthy. It is for you and me. The question is, how do we find time, avoid making painful mistakes, and find the best resources to help us reach our financial goals? Join me on my journey helping busy families figure out how they can gain financial confidence and clarity, get actionable tips, and learn from the best experts on how to stop trading time for money. It is now the time you started living your best financial life. My name is Anna Shergunina, and welcome to the Money Boss Podcast. I've been very lucky in my professional life to have had a mentor who not only helped me get started in financial planning, but continues to support me and other women in this field. And this was almost 15 years ago. Tim Ludwig, the founder of Main Street Financial Planning, shares his money story with us today. Hey, money bosses, welcome back. I'm excited for today's conversation to be joined by the founder of Main Street Financial Planning, Jim Ludwig. And Main Street Financial Planning is a company I think I talk a lot about on this podcast. So you are in for a treat. But it really all started for me in 2006 um, when I stumbled into a firm um, who truly had a mission to help people, everyday people like you and I, make smart financial decisions. And so that's where I met Jim. Jim, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm glad to be here, Anna. Yeah, excited. So it's it feels like since we've worked together for the last, what, 15 years now, almost, <laughs> we know each <laughs> other pretty well. as long well. as you've been married. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So we know each other pretty well, but I'm really excited to um, dive into um, really learning more about your money story and all the things that come with it. So yeah, let's just dive in. And um, I think it would be a good start for us to um, understand why did you become a financial planner? Well, I was working uh, for Bank of America in their trust department in Santa Barbara, California. And Bank of America at the time wanted all of the uh, people in the trust department to be CFPs, to be fiduciaries, because a bank trust department is a fiduciary, but they wanted the individual employees to be the same thing. So they said, you've got to become a certified financial planner. We said, Okay, so we went through the courses, took the exam, and then Bank of America was purchased by Nations Bank, and I was out of a job. They they gave me some stock options and some salary and said, see you later. Luckily, uh, City National Bank, headquartered in Beverly Hills, was looking for people like me, and a headhunter uh, had an advanced list of who was going to be let go. And the day I was let go, the headhunter was on the phone saying, hey, would you like to come work in Beverly Hills? But you can live in Santa Barbara. And I said, okay, okay. So then I, that was the second bank trust department that I worked for. And they liked that I was a certified financial planner, again, because a trust department is a fiduciary. And they were looking for CFPs who have that same role of always putting the customer first. So that's yeah. how that's how I wouldn't got into that the work, planning business. Yeah, wouldn't you think that the work uh, that you did at a, at a trust department um, is a little bit different, uh, or quite a bit different from what you actually do here at Main Street Financial Planning? It is, 
part of my role at the bank trust department was business development. So I got to play golf and tennis with uh, attorneys and judges and accountants who would think kindly of the bank when they had a complicated problem. Because a lot of times they would refer that to the bank because they were professional corporate trustees who would go on. It wasn't just dependent on one person or two people. So it's a lot different at the bank trust department. Plus, they're focused on making a profit. So a lot of times they would turn business away if it wasn't profitable. So the difference at Main Street. We can't say that about Main Street. Now, at Main Street, we take on uh, engagements that don't make us a lot of money. In fact, those of us that work here at Main Street know that we could go someplace else and make a lot more money managing people's money or selling them financial uh, things that pay us uh, a commission. That's true. And so that's that's where in 2006, and you, of course, started Main Street in 2002, I became you know very fascinated and interested in um, really being a newbie in that space. I said, wow, you can actually work with folks in this arena, you know, delivering them quality financial advice, um, and you don't have to sell the, the, the products or, or manage their money. So yeah, that was, um, that's how I became interested. But why did you start Main Street Financial Planning? Well, I was working for a money manager on the Mid-Atlantic, and it was a sales position. And we were trying to sign up people for a minimum of a million dollars. And it was in 2001, the dot-com bubble had burst and and scared everybody. And then 9-11 happened. And everybody was going to wait and see. And so nobody signed up. So when you work on commission and nobody's signing up, you don't get paid. So I thought, you know, this isn't working out for me. What could I do? And I started thinking about, could I go back and be a life insurance agent like I was before? Could I be a commercial real estate broker? Could I work for a bank trust department? Looking at all the things that I had done, and I really wasn't excited about going backwards. And I was on the internet. uh, This is the early days of the internet. And I found a lady named Cheryl Garrett who said, if you're in financial services, I can teach you how to give advice by the hour and make a decent living. She didn't say you're going to get rich, but she said you can make a decent living. So I paid her uh, a sum of money. I flew to Kansas City and did three days of training. That was it. And uh, because it was really learn the business model. It wasn't learn how to be a CFP. I'd been a CFP for a few years by then. But I uh, was also... Uh, in a class with six other people, three of which, so there's four out of those seven from 2002 are still operating or in the area of fee-only financial advisors. And that was an exciting time because the press hadn't heard about the business model and people were upset about their investments going south and they were looking for something different. So I started off slow in the basement of my house. The basement was the first floor. It was a townhome. And that's where Anna and I started. Anna was my first 
full-time, full employee that worked 40 hours a week. And she was hired because she was really excited about this business model. And she wanted to be a financial planner too, just like you, Jim. Well, yeah. you have to finish your courses. You have to take the exam. And then we'll let you, you know, practice independently with clients. So that's how you got started. And I got to watch you blossom from someone who had just, you know, almost immediately graduated from college. You worked one other place for a short time, but you got to see this side of financial services pretty quickly and said, this is pretty exciting. Yeah, no, that's right. No, that opportunity really presented a lot for me in the past into doing this work, which you and I both know it's it's really rewarding in terms of what we, what we do with clients. And so I'm, I'm really grateful that um, that all existed when I started in my career. Um, so for you, Jim, um, and on your career path, because you've done so many different things before you uh, founded Main Street um, and you worked with all kinds of clients, who do you work with um, now and what kind of uh, clients do you do your best work for? Well, uh, probably three distinct groups, and it's easy to uh, focus on them when you ask a question like that. People nearing retirement, maybe five years away, and they start to think, gee, do I have my act together? Can I really retire? My spouse is uh, more concerned even than I am, or I'm single, uh, whether it's divorced or widowed or widower or never married, you know, and I've got to make all these decisions on my own. Maybe I need an independent person. So that's one group. The second one is people retire and they say, okay, now I retired. Maybe I better check and see if I'm doing okay, <laughs> because I, this money's got to last 25 or 30 years. And I thought I was okay, but now I don't have a paycheck coming in and I'm a little nervous. So that's the second group. The third group that I think is really more exciting is 30-somethings who want to retire early, say at 55. There's an acronym called Financially Independent Retire Early. Now, there's some extremes that want to retire in their 30s, but uh, the group that I like to work with are 30-somethings that say, you know, I wonder if I could do enough and put away enough and have a lifestyle that I enjoy and started at age 55 or somewhere close to that. And I've been doing this long enough, Anna, and you too, where you've seen people have a plan and they get so excited having the plan, they push and get it done even earlier. And we get excited because instead of retiring at 57, they retired 54. Wow, that is so neat to help people make those decisions and then see the fruit of their saving and their labor. I mean, they still go on vacation. They still do lots of things with their family, but they were really focused on the end goal. And then they have this comfort level and peace of mind to do things. They can climb mountains and, and rappel down wires and do all sorts of things. Uh, and they don't have to be old and crotchety when they're retired. They can be young and vibrant. So that's the third group and the one that I've watched just with, uh, you know, undying appreciation of how hard they work to get where they wanted to go. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I've, I've experienced the same things. 
um, in seeing how those clients really succeed. And, and that's what really makes our job, or you don't even think about it as a job, what we do every day is so fun. And um, you just wake up and you know you know that you have a purpose. So one of the things we um, do here at Main Street is we help clients make smart financial decisions so that they can avoid making mistakes, <laughs> right? <laughs> that's the, that's the right. thought behind everything that we do. But, you know, I think all of us can admit that, you know, from, from time to time, we tend to make mistakes. It's just how life works. So if you look back at your life, um, what would you say your, your biggest money mistake um, that you've made? That you've made? Well, I know it. And I, I tell this story hundreds of times a year. So if some of the listeners have heard it before, uh, it, I was operating on the, uh, on the emotion of greed. And a lot of times in financial services, we make decisions based on greed or fear, fear of losing money or the opportunity to really hit a home run. Well, I was uh, at the time a commercial real estate broker and I was making good money but the people who owned the buildings were making more money. And I could see that, you know, because I knew the tax consequences of the sale and everything. And I went, wow, I think I'll become a building owner and I'll get a couple of other people to be limited partners and I'll give them 50% uh, because they, they give us a lot of money. So I'll get 50% of the upside and they get 50% of the upside. But what I didn't realize is in a limited partnership where you're the general partner, you get 100% of the downside. Oh, great. Well, the tenants left and I couldn't find new tenants because of the situation I found myself in. The uh, Prudential Life Insurance Company, the lender said, uh, you got to keep making payments. And I said, I can't. So I had to give them the uh, building back and I had to pay them a monthly payment for over five years. I was lucky they didn't ruin my credit, but I got greedy and I thought owning a building would be really good. And I got a good deal because 14 months later, a situation happened where the tenants left and I couldn't release it. And so that was a big mistake. And I realized I was being greedy. So uh, that's a warning to other people. If it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. Yes. You only, you only realize that's, that. That's right? enough of pain sharing, okay? <laughs> so um, if we think about money story, and that's really the, the conversation we're having today is um, for folks to get to know you a little bit better from that angle. Um Money story isn't something that just like, you know, pops up and here's like, here's my money story. It is the events that happen in our life. It's the people that are surrounding us. It's mistakes that you make or the smart decisions that, that, that you take. So if you were to look back at your life, who would, who would be the folks that influenced, you know, your decisions and your thoughts and ideas around money and finances the most? Well, uh, I think the first person that comes to mind is my brother. Uh, we're in business together. I'm a silent partner in his business, but I've helped him out at other businesses that he's had. And so we've always talked in detail about finances and making financial decisions and stuff like that. And so I've helped him. He's helped me. And it's ex it's expanded our knowledge and our confidence in making 
financial decisions. And so we've been talking, you know, since he was a teenager and I was a little bit older in the Air Force. So we've had those conversations over a period of time. I think, secondly, our parents had influence over us. Uh, my mother, who was a secretary, we always wrote everything down. We kept journals and logs and stuff. And so handling our finances has always been easier because we had good documentation. And so that came from my mother. My father is probably the charitable giving. Uh, you give, then you get. We're always going to help other people first. And you may get some recognition. You may not. That's okay. But you do it because you want to help people, which is why I ended up in Main Street, because I wanted to help other people. And rewards came back. And that was great. But it was really that desire. And that came from my father. And then, um, let me see. The, I had a life insurance sales manager who is still friends with him today. He's not selling. Well, he is selling life insurance still. And I, and I joined a rotary club uh, when I moved from uh, Santa Barbara down to Westlake Village. I joined the Westlake Village Sunrise Rotary Club, and there was my old sales manager. He he always convinced me that in doing fact-finding sessions and finding out about other people's situations, that you can't be selling them products or services and not living the same kind of life that you're promoting. So I really, at that point in time, uh, and the money was pretty good in life insurance, uh, I really practice what I preached in more detail than I had ever done when I was in the Air Force or when I was a commercial real estate broker. I In, in commercial real estate, you have good months and bad months. Uh, I mean, you might make $30,000 one month and three months you make nothing. And so my spending and saving wasn't that good. But in that life insurance, sales training and promoting to other people, that manager, that sales manager really convinced me to get my act together financially and have a plan too. That's the first time I ever had a financial plan was during my life insurance days. Interesting. So if you were to look at your budget um, and all, all of it looks good or you're spending um, and all of a sudden there's a thousand bucks extra, um, what would you do? Where would you spend it and why? Well, <laughs> I would spend it on travel. And during that travel, I'd create experiences with my grandchildren. I think at this point in my life, I've come to realize I don't need any more toys. It's nice to have toys, and I do have a few, but they're related to my hobbies of photography um, and travel. And so I would travel and bring along the grandkids and give them experiences that they could uh remember for a lifetime. So that's what I want to add. So when grandpa and grandma are gone, they've had bonding with us. They've had great experiences and they can remember it over all their life and they'll pass it along to their grandkids. That's what I would do with that extra money. Yeah, it's it's definitely, especially now that we're hopefully on, on, the, on the other end right of the pandemic where we do want to spend more time with family. And so I think a lot of people reevaluating what's uh, really uh, important in life. So what would you say is important to you? What are, what is, what is value uh, to you in life? Well, value to me is leaving the world a better place. And sort of my 
and I mentioned this earlier from my father, you give, then you get. That's sort of been my motto of just go around and help other people do as best as you can. And then it'll come back to you, you know, and just be optimistic that way. Uh, when I was in life insurance, again, it was a pivotal time in my life. And I was uh, prompted to come up with a tombstone mentality. What do you want written on your tombstone? And at the time, he made a difference in people's lives. I wanted to make a positive difference in people's lives. And when I came to Main Street, I expanded on that just a little bit by saying, he made a difference in people's lives by helping them make smart financial decisions. That's what I wanted on, on my tombstone is this guy really made a difference in a lot of people's lives. And we're honoring him by putting that there. So that keeps me focused of why am I doing this? I just want to help people, you know, in an area where I have some expertise and some experience and I have some understanding of what it's like to make a big mistake and just pull yourself up and say, okay, that's the past. I'm not going to dwell on it. I'm just going to move forward. What does it take from here on out to get where I want to go financially and personally? Yeah, I love it. Hey, money bosses, are you ready to get your financial life in order? Once and for all, as soon as possible? Are you tired of living paycheck to paycheck? Do you often lose track of how much money you have to spend? Do you want to get your financial life together, but just don't quite know how? I am with you. I've been there. I've struggled through all of these. And I know you owe it to yourself. You owe it to yourself to get better. So why do you continue to struggle? I know you can get your own money in order. It took me years to figure out. It took me years of pain, struggle, frustration, anger. But you don't have to go through all of that. You don't even have to get a financial planning degree like I did in order to be successful. Allow me to present to you my Money Flow System, a free playbook of how you can automate your finances, even if you hate budgeting. After you download this free playbook, you will never have to worry about budgeting. And who likes that budgeting thing anyway? You will stop accumulating debt and create a bulletproof plan of how to quickly pay it off. You will be able to pinpoint exactly what your income and expenses are. You will never have to miss a single bill again. And you will always, always have a solid idea of how much money is in each of your accounts. So head over to money-flowsystem.com to download my free Money Flow Playbook, a blueprint to streamline your finances in less five or five weeks. Guaranteed. Head over to money-flowsystem.com. It's certainly um, something that I'm sure our clients here at Main Street um, get to experience because these are the, the conversations that we have with them and help them identify what is it that they value and how does that align with where they're going, what their goals are. So that's that's really crucial. I think a lot of people um, kind of inadvertently do things around their finances. They save, they, you know, or they spend or they, you know, just, just because life happens. Um, but very few pause and really reach out and say, okay, I want to do this differently. They don't really necessarily even know they need a plan and that's kind of how it all comes together. So yeah, I'm, I'm grateful that 
Um, and I'm sure you are too, that we have this opportunity um, to do this awesome work um, that, you know, whether it's here at Main Street, but just in our profession. So I, I always, it always comes to mind, right? When I think about financial planning and there's so many, I industry has evolved a lot, especially like since I, I've been in it, right? Last six, 17 years, 15 years here at Main Street. And even how we do business, right? With the pandemic, we transitioned to working 100% remotely without any major disruption. If anything, we were even busier than before. Um, so when you <laughs> so when you look back at our profession um, and where you are in your career, what would you think, what would you say um, should change, right, going forward? Or what what is one thing that, um, we kind of want to debunk, right? What is one myth about our field and what we do? Because not everybody understands what financial planner really does. Right. The uh, the well, when you think about myths in uh, in financial planning, is most people come to us with the latest hot idea, and that's going to be a home run. And so, uh, there's an area in of study in our profession called behavioral finance. And so one of those things is, again, it's greed. It's saying, I can hit a home run. I saw my friend down the road. They bought Apple really early. They bought uh, Tesla. That would be the latest thing where they've seen somebody buy Tesla. And, and they think that I can pick a home run and I can be just as braggy as they are, not knowing that the person that hit a home run probably had a few losers too, but we only hear about the winners. So the myth is, I got this great deal and I'm going to hit a home run. And so many times, now some people do, but it's, it's really a small minority that really can compound it. And then they learn to diversify it because they're they're on they're riding on one horse, and if that horse stumbles and falls, there goes their new lifestyle. That happened to me, Anna. I you probably heard this story, but maybe not. I was a second lieutenant uh, in Northern Maine. I was just recently married to Carol, and in the winter time, there's a lot of snow, and you can't go do many things. So another lieutenant that lived adjacent to me, he and I just started, uh, decided to start investing in the stock market because we had time to study, you know, because there's nothing else to do. Uh, so we, they had just, this is 1974, and they had just had the ability for people to invest in stock options. So you didn't have to buy the stock, you could just buy an option on the stock. And if you bought a stock option that was priced above the current stock price and the stock went up during the time you own this option, you could make a lot of money. So I started off with about $4,000. And in less than two years, I had $80,000. That's 20 times my initial investment by buying options and then the stock would overcome it and I'd sell the option and make a profit. But then I got transferred to Italy. And in 1975, I arrived in Italy and I checked in at the base library that has newspapers. And it took three weeks for the newspapers to get there. 
So one day I was looking in the newspaper and Brunswick, the bowling alley people who also owned Smith and Wesson, the guns and Chris Craft, the boats went belly up in Japan. So I went downtown to the phone company because at the time you had to go pay money in advance to call back to the United States. And I called my broker who said, uh, too bad, you lost all your money. But I thought I had hit a home run in the options market because I was smart. But getting the information three weeks later, you can't do anything. So that's that's my story on thinking, yeah, it's easy. You can hit a home run. And, and what was happening is I was in Italy spending a lot of money because I knew I had this $80,000 with the time might be more than a quarter of a million dollars now. So I was spending like, hey, let's go out for dinner every night, blah, 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 because I'm rich. Mm, no. Anyway, so <laughs> does that answer that question? Yes, it does. Okay. <laughs> well, so now fast forward to 20, uh, 2021, we yeah. get our information a lot faster. <laughs> we it's, do. You can make these decisions a lot faster, hopefully. So I know you are an avid reader. You love to read and um, you actually send us a lot of articles here inside Main Street for for us to to pay attention to, which we all appreciate very much. So what would you say your top top information sources for kind of staying top with personal finances and money? Yes. I like the, the blog called The Simple Dollar. It's written by a guy who is in a lot, his name is Trent, first name is Trent. He was in a lot of debt and he was determined to get out of it. And he started journaling online his mission to get out of debt. And it became a blog and he now has four or five employees writing for him, writing stories. But there might be five or six stories every day, Monday through Friday in my inbox all to do with saving money and and finances. The most interesting one early on that impressed me was how to make your own homemade soup. I mean, this is a person who's really trying to save money so he can get out of debt. And he did a great job. But I was so impressed and reading these stories every day. So I get the simple dollar every day. It's free. And the ideas are just outstanding. Not everything applies but it's every topic. Uh, The one uh, yesterday, one of the topics was what should be included in your renter's insurance? You know, well, we give advice on that. I click the article to see it. Okay, we're doing everything right. But it's all the topics. They just do a great job. So that's the first one. The second one is the white coat investor. This is an emergency room doctor in Salt Lake City, Utah, that decided he was getting raked over the coals, taken advantage of, sold whole life as an investment, whole life insurance. And so he started a blog and he and he was he started writing articles about how he was getting rid of his student loans, how he was going to buy a house, how he was going to finance his kids' college, all of that thing. And it blossomed and he wrote a book. And I had been following his blog, and uh, he actually quoted me in the book. And then I also wrote a uh, testimonial on the flyleaf. So that's my conflict of interest. But 
I was an early supporter of him because he's helping people that allegedly make a lot of money and then blow it. They uh, now not to be misogynistic because I know you can, but if you're a, a male doctor, you end up getting a trophy wife who wants a trophy house and you work till you're 70 or 75 because you started off in debt and you never got out of debt trying to live like a doctor, you know, that you saw on TV. And he was trying to get people out of that, live like a resident for two more years, buy used cars. I mean, he just tried to give them the right set. And in fact, he promoted, uh, I just uh, tweet, tweeted it yesterday, why aren't a lot of physicians wealthy? It was written by an associate uh, who has another blog, but it was in there yesterday. And I retweeted it and said, this is not only for white coats, but other high income people who end up blowing it and have to work a long time rather than adopting other skills to and, and know where they're going, you know, have a financial plan. And so uh, that's the articles that he promotes and writes all the time are just great. Uh, you know, the whole life insurance bit, he's always writing on that. He gets more comments from life insurance agents. Uh, of course. But he really wants to educate his audience, which are doctors, dentists, veterinarians, people that wear the white coat. The third one is bigger pockets. I've been a real estate investor for a long time. My dad was in real estate. My brother's in real estate. And uh, this is an organization of people who are helping people get into and invest in real estate, whether it's one house or a duplex or, a, or four units or an apartment building or shopping centers or whatever. And they have YouTube videos, bigger pockets. They have a podcast and they have all sorts of calculators and forms and PDF booklets that are free. They do have some paid things, but the information is critical to being successful in income producing real estate. And I wish I had that 30 or 35 years ago. I wouldn't have bought that building. Okay. <laughs> That's right. So, so those three publications, the simple dollar, white coat investor, bigger pockets, those are the keys to the castle. Yeah. And I still read them. I do as well. I do as well. I, I listen to the Bigger Pockets podcast since we're on the podcast wavelength at the moment. <laughs> yeah, we'll include these links in our show notes too. So okay. folks want to check out those blogs. They're definitely not traditional things that you hear financial planners read. So yes, very different. I know you read the other stuff too. Oh, oh I read the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Washington Post, Los Angeles Times, which has comics in color. And uh, the Atlantic, and I I do BuzzFeed, and um, I do read a lot, but a lot of our clients expect us to be knowledgeable about what's going on in the world, and so Twitter again is a uh, an information source for me. I only I only uh, tweet on personal financial items unless I'm upset with United Airlines, Amtrak or Wells Fargo Bank, you know, so sometimes I will, <laughs> I will tweet bad experiences. Uh, and it's still a consumer kind of thing. But uh, 
It's mostly good articles, calculators, things I find that I think other people who follow me, I've got about 15, 1600 followers. So it's a good group of people that enjoy personal finance information. Yeah, totally. So I'll find a couple of um, fun questions here. Uh, do you have a favorite bumper sticker? <laughs> Funny that you should imagine that. You asked me that. This fits in with my profile. It is go around me. I left on time. Because <laughs> in, in, you in have Las that Vegas, you people have that on your car? Zooming, zooming around. And so when they come behind me, I want them to, you know, be thinking about that. I'm not in a hurry. I left on time and everybody else is, you know, five minutes late. No offense, Anna. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm never late. I'm always on time. You're just early. <laughs> yes. That's, your, that's, 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 military military, background. that's military background talking. I know, exactly. All right, next one. When do you get up? And um, if you do get up early, when, when do you start? What's the first thing you do? The first thing I do is uh, open up my iPad and probably read the New York Times. No, excuse me. I read the Wall, Wall Street Journal that comes in earlier. Sometimes I'm still up at 1030 at night when I get the Wall Street Journal. So I'll a lot of times read that at night. But the New York Times, the Washington Post, and the L.A. Times, if I have time, but <laughs> the L.A. Times, I'm really reading it for the comics because they're in color. The Washington Post comics are in black and white, and so that's not as creative for me. Now, Washington Post on Sunday does have colored comics, but I, I read everything digitally. I don't take papers anymore. Uh but I'll read for probably a half hour, 45 minutes. So I'm selecting the stories that I read. Um, I mean, this morning's Wall Street Journal, maybe two stories. I didn't ring, read a single story in the New York Times. I get a, a compilation of all the stories and I just click on what I want to read. I didn't go to the Washington Post this morning. And I did uh, later on read the LA Times. So then... These days, I go out to the garage and get on my exercise bike. It's an echelon, but it's like Peloton, only it's not as expensive. And I watch YouTube videos. So I watched a lady, Sarah Funky, who is in New York, gives tours. And I miss New York. I used to go there once a month to see our clients, and I miss it. Um, I watched uh, one yesterday on Bitcoin. I saw most of it, an interview on an analyst from an investment company. He was the Bitcoin analyst, so he really explained things. So I, I do have apps that will give me trail rides that I can do. But, I, but since I'm so interested in, in YouTube learning, I found that forget about the trail rides. I just want to learn new information. And so I'm going to do a half an hour of something on YouTube that's going to be interesting to me. Uh, then I'll. Uh, you know, come back, get a shower, get ready. And then I'm into emails and working away. So I would say between 5 a.m. and 7 a.m., it's those kinds of things. And then around 7 o'clock, 7.30, I'm into working. And then sometimes I'll, I'll drive the other day, maybe once a week, I'll drive to Starbucks. I used to work out of Starbucks, 
but I work out of Starbucks these days in my car next to the building <laughs> and using their Wi-Fi because if I'm doing video, it's nice to have that speed. And uh, I have my latte and I'll sit there for an hour, hour and a half, um, you know, once a week or so doing that, just a change of scenery uh, because it gets pretty boring. In my house, I have seven different workstations. Workstation number eight is sitting in my car at Starbucks. So I just tell I just tell our admin person I'm at workstation eight, and then she knows where I'm at. <laughs> I haven't even thought about labeling stations. You mean like couch, uh, chair? Yes, desk, yes. So the table. Queen Anne chair is workstation one. I'm standing up right now at a stand-up desk that you gifted me. Thank you very much. That's workstation two. Dining room tables, workstation three, sofas, wait, workstation four, yada, yada, yada. Okay, you get the picture. I love it. I love My car. Now, I've got a Wi-Fi extender in the garage because I have two security cameras on the outside of the garage and I needed a, a better signal. But then I realized that I can go sit in my car in the garage because the Wi-Fi extender is one foot away from the, from the top of my car. So I have great Wi-Fi in the garage, believe it or not. That's workstation seven. That's workstation okay. seven. All right. We will not tell our uh, listeners uh, where you live. <laughs> that stays That's private. Right. That's okay. The, pass, the password is... Go ahead and pass me. I'm on time. Okay. I know. I love That's that. Password. Um, all right, Jim. Well, I very much enjoyed our conversation today. Please uh, tell everybody how they can stay in touch with you. Well, I would say follow me on Twitter at Jim Ludwig. That's the best way. And then if you're on Twitter, you can send direct messages and stuff like that. Obviously, Jim at MainStreetPlanning.com is there uh, or info at MainStreetPlanning.com. That'll get to our administrative person who keeps me on track and handles the calendar because I'm not that good at it. I double book, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> they, they can get it. And if they just Google Jim Ludwig, I'm usually the number one Jim Ludwig on the Google list in the country. Although there's a surgeon in Houston, there's a uh, investing guy in Florida, and there's a... Uh, animal rights advocate in Albuquerque, New Mexico. So I do track my reputation on, on Google, <laughs> you know, because I'll just tell people if I meet them in the supermarket, what do you do? Just Google Jim Ludwig. You'll find me on the internet. You know, there's probably only one Jim Ludwig CFP certified financial planner. That's true. That is, that is true. That is true. Right. I think the investment person's probably a CFA. That would be my guess. There you go. Wow. That's that's awesome. Jim, again, thank you so much for joining us today. Very much enjoy our conversation. You're welcome. Have a great day. Thanks. Bye. Hey, Money Boss. Thanks for tuning in today. If this episode did help you, then please be sure to share it with someone else you think will benefit from it too. After all, smart financial decisions are for everyone. Uh, so don't be greedy. I hope I can help you even further by sharing with you how thousands of clients I worked with in my career over the last 16 years created their very own successful financial lives on their terms. It's hard for me to do this over an audio, and if you are ready for the next chapter in your life, then be sure to go to MainStreet-Money.com to get your free resource guide to help you begin correcting top six financial 
mistakes I see people make all the time, such as not having clear financial goals, not having a handle on spending or saving for the future, not knowing how to get rid of all the debts, and of course, not having a clear strategy or plan on how to protect your hard-earned money. Until next time, remember you are the boss of your life.